listening to Belt of Truth. Conversations, Arming Laity, powered by the Armor of God Men's Movement. Visit our website at armingmen.com. Dominic, why are you wanting to support the Belt of Truth podcast? So my choice to sponsor the Belt of Truth podcast is because I have seen the positive impact that it's made on parishioners of St. Vincent's, their families, their friends, and anybody else that they have had the opportunity to share the podcast with. We would like to thank local real estate agent Dominic Parsons for his sponsorship of the Belt of Truth podcast. Dominic is a full-time, dedicated, trustworthy real estate agent that is always happy to help answer your real estate questions. Reach out to Dominic at 260-271-9601 or send him an email at dominiccparsons at gmail.com. This is Father Mark Gertner of the Diocese of Fort Wayne, South Bend. I'm so happy to be here and to support the Belt of Truth podcast. I hope that this podcast always serves as a strengthening of faith for all who listen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time and opportunity to just come and speak to you about our passions, our loves. We ask that this conversation be blessed and inspired by your holy words. We entrust all this as we pray together. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome, friends. You're listening to The Belt of Truth. I'm Rob Gregory. I'm here with a friend of mine, Mr. Justin Aquila. Justin, thanks for being here. Glad to be here. So uh, you're in a newer role as a pastoral associate, and you're in charge of RCIA and marriage prep here at St. Vincent de Paul. Is that correct? Correct, yes. And how's it going so far? So far, so good. Yeah, it, it always takes a little while to get used to a new role, how you do things at a particular parish, but I feel like I'm finally getting the hang of it. So what is RCIA? RCIA stands for the Rite of Christian Initiation of Adults. But don't get too used to that because a new translation is coming out of the rights and uh, sometime in 2023 or 2024, it will now be called the Order of Christian Initiation of Adults. So all our acronyms are going to go out the window. We have to (laughs) rebrand, so to speak. Uh, But that is actually, it's going to be a great opportunity. One of the problems is the church uh, re-envisioned what we call the catechumenate in the Second Vatican Council. So in the life of the early church, there was something called the catechumenate. That's the primary way people became Catholic. As Christianity spreads throughout Europe, the primary way people are brought into the church is by baptizing infants. If you have a convert or a group of converts, they would work with the priest more individually. There wasn't the extended process that there was in the early church. In the in the nineteen in nineteen sixty two, in the Vatican II's document on the liturgy, the bishops of the world asked for the catechumenate to be restored, and that's what we got now with the RCIA process. So the RCIA process is back in the life of the church only for the last sixty years. So the process itself, it, it's not an overnight process. It's obviously several months of a process. Talk a little bit about what that process looks like. Sure. Yeah. So the the guiding principle the church gives for the RCA process is that conversion works in people's lives gradually and in stages. That's a principle drawn from the way God has worked with the human race from the beginnings of Genesis through today. He tends to work both with groups and with individuals gradually in stages. So I think my experience bears that out. I'm sure yours does as well. And and that's ongoing. So the idea of the RCA process is actually that it's split into four segments. The first is what we call the pre-catechumenate, also called inquiry. And so as someone's being connecting with the church, they're hearing the gospel, the basic message of the Christian story, 
for the first time and they're being invited to respond to it, to, to entrust themselves or give their life to it. And it's also, as the word inquiry suggests, a time for them to ask questions, understand what the church is, understand why we do some of the things we do. When, they, when they're ready to go on, and this is the part that there's a renewal going on as we've better understood in the last uh, five, 10 years, what the church was actually asking for in the um, restoration of this catechumenate. And that is, we're trying to be very intentional not to move people to the various stages before they're ready. So for example, at St. Vincent's, in a couple of weeks, we'll interview all the, the participants in RCA. Hey, are you ready to go on? If not, it's fine. Like you, you can still stay in this question and answer period. We don't want to rush you through if you're not ready. So uh, once they do that, they go through what's called the right of welcome or acceptance, depending on whether they're baptized or not. And for the first time, they're accepted into the life of the community publicly. Father welcomes them at a mass. Their sponsors sign them with the sign of the cross as a sign of their commitment to move forward toward baptism. The second phase is called the catechumenate. That's where they're going to learn about the core teachings of the faith. Uh, They can still, of course, ask questions and things like that. Once they feel ready to go on, they move into a period of time where they're called the elect. Uh, That's usually the six weeks of Advent. And that the formation shifts from understanding the faith to more prayer, reflection. There's Sunday rituals. And at the beginning of that period, they go through a rite called the rite of election where Bishop Rhodes in our diocese or a bishop in another diocese welcomes them on behalf of the broader local church. So they go, they're welcomed by the parish, then they're welcomed by the bishop. And then finally they come into the church and then the Easter season is meant to be a period of six weeks of what we call mystagogy, which is helping them unpack what they've received in the sacraments and then giving them a little launch out into their first year of being Catholic. So start to finish, the process is how long? Yeah, so if you're baptized already in another Christian denomination and you have a pretty good understanding of Christianity, depending on, again, how familiar you are, how well-read you are coming in, how much you understand the Catholic faith, you can move in, move through pretty quickly, actually. It could be three, four months, six months. The catechumen, if you're unbaptized, is meant to be a full year. We're going, to, we're going to start to pivot that way slowly at St. Vincent's so that that catechumen will actually start in Lent and the person would come in the following Easter. So let's say you start Lent 2023, 20, eventually you'd come into the church Lent 24, 24 if you're unbaptized. So with your understanding of theology, which is pretty good, um, do you know of another faith that takes that journey so seriously and, and has that many steps to go through to come in? No, I don't. Um, I mean, they could be out there, but uh, I'm not familiar with one. And partially the, the response, the, the reason for the length of time is, is, to use a modern analogy, we're soliciting their informed consent, right? Because you're freely accepting Jesus and the Catholic faith, and you want to make sure that the person coming in can make that decision to understand what is expected of them as the Catholic the other purpose is, again, God works gradually in stages. So some, some person, right, they've been thinking about becoming Catholic. They've been in the pew with their spouse for 30 years, and they're ready to go. And, and we can work with them. The, the church gives us that ability to accelerate some of that in that situation. What do you say to the people that think that that's hooey, that if I want to become Catholic, I should just be able to go to mass and receive all the sacraments? Why, why do you get to tell me that I can't do that? <laughs> you know, there's, there's two responses to that. One is a practical one. I use the dating analogy, right? For marriage, right? You didn't, most people spend some time with their spouse, getting to know them, learning to trust them before they 
grow in intimacy. And the Christian life is about intimacy with Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ with the Father. And so it, it takes time to learn that language of intimacy. So that's a practical thing. And, and theologically, there's just the Catholic faith is rich and we want you to be able to really understand it, grasp it, wrestle with the questions that you might have so that when you come in, you're in to stay. So I, I have heard this before and I almost think that this is true for me, the cradle Catholics mm-hmm. who went through you know, the normal Catholic school education and, and receive their sacraments through that process, I, I would almost argue they could be more weak in their understanding mm-hmm. of the faith than the RCIA candidates that are getting this at a different stage of life. Would you agree with that? Yeah. The church actually calls for, and this is where we've been weak in our formation, the church calls for a, what they call post-baptismal catechumenate. So when we started to baptize infants, there's a lot of reasons for that. One of which, of course, is high rates of infant mortality. So you want to make sure that the child has all the riches and the gifts of sacrament of um, baptism. But the church always expected that formation to happen after baptism instead of before. So with adults, adults can make the choice for themselves and they, they require that formation because they're making the choice themselves. The church entrusts to parents when you baptize your child because the child can't make the decision yourself to do that formation. So that's a it's not that the church intends something different. It's just we've been bad at implementing it. And, you know, based on the statistics we were talking about before, we have an issue in the Catholic Church where the last I heard it was for whenever mm-hmm. one person comes in, there's at least five that leave. Yep. Why do you think that is? Probably a variety of reasons, right? One is I don't think uh, we evangelize very well. We don't share with people the good news of salvation, invite them to respond to a living relationship. Sometimes catechesis is pure book knowledge, and our faith is a living faith. So don't hear me saying that the book knowledge is not important, right? Uh, reflection on the scriptures, reflection on the catechism is very rich. But the catechism even says in one of its opening paragraphs that all doctrine is ordered toward the love that never ends. So paragraph 25 of the catechism, right? And I can't remember how many paragraphs, some like 3,000 paragraphs, right? At the very beginning, the church wants us to remember that everything we're going to teach in this book is about the order toward the love that never ends, which is the love of God himself and our response to it. So when, when sometimes that isn't incorporated into catechesis, the catechesis gets stale and dry. And I, 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 frankly, I don't, I don't blame people for leaving sometimes if they don't have a rich catechesis. And oftentimes you'll see ways in which the Lord brings them back from bad catechesis experiences as children because... You know, they've encountered a movement like Armor of God or Kingdom Builders or gone to a Steubenville conference or a Damascus mission. And all of a sudden, the gospel and the teaching make sense and they finally line up for people. And then they're able to entrust their lives to Jesus. Well, Josh, you're, you're a convert, right? I mean, you, you went through RCIA at some stage not too long ago. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, it's been about 17 years, but but yeah, I, I, was, I grew up Methodist and studied, my minor in, at Ball State was religious studies, I've always been fascinated with it. Fortunately, I had some, some Catholics in my family that I could lean on a little bit when I was making that decision. And of course, I married a Catholic, <laughs> so <laughs> that was the big one. So as someone who went through this process, um, do you feel like it adequately prepared you for walking the faith? I think it, it can happen at steps and stages, yep. and and I loved what you just said about the idea of like being able to go to like a retreat, you know, Crescio or a Armor God, you know, that event because it just lights you on fire, and that desire to want to know 
deeper and, and more knowledge is, is there. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I had that experience myself. I think I shared with a little bit where I had a lot of the book knowledge. And when I finally entrusted my life to Jesus, everything snapped into place. Father Mark Gertner, in a previous episode with you all, I think he explained this a little bit too. He didn't go into a lot of depth, but I think he was describing the same reality. We've, we've got the catechesis. Catechesis in most Catholic schools, the quality is much better than the last several years, but we need to make sure to add the evangelization part. And John Paul II in 1981 was writing about this and no one was listening. <laughs> yeah. Well, you and I have talked a little bit about your newer role and uh, some some thoughts you had or some uh, vision you have. Talk a little bit about what you think you can do to change this so that this can become more impactful. Sure, yeah. I see my role as largely um, uh, casting a vision for the parish about um, RCA as a place of conversion um, and, uh, and, and real growth in discipleship. We need the parishioners of the parish, though, to help with that. So um, in the next couple of months, I'll start to get up at make announcements at mass, asking people, Can you, are you willing to be part of an RCA team? And the goals are, are really this, right? First, we want to make sure that um, there are more entry points into RCIA. So if the spirit strikes after an Armor of God retreat in October or in the spring, or someone goes to mass at Christmas and Father Dan preaches a beautiful homily as he usually does, and something is moving in them, when they call the parish and say, I'm interested in becoming Catholic, we don't have to wait till August at the, on an academic year. So we're going to need people to help so that we can run multiple tracks. They'll probably be a little smaller, but that we're able to say, hey, um, let's start an inquiry session in November or January, whatever it is, right? Uh, Because I can't bilocate. And no one wants that, actually. (laughs) So that's one goal. And another goal is just continue to just do uh, better and better at inviting people into this relationship with Jesus and not just teaching it as an academic class. So you're a couple months into the new role and you have a group now that is, is walking the walk mm-hmm. through the RCIA process. Yeah. How do you think it's going so far? Yeah, it's, it's going well. I mean, one of the beautiful things about it is you get to, I get to hear all the stories, right? So other people are coming in presenting and uh, they're there for a night or two. But uh, because I'm walking with these people the whole way, I get to know their background, their stories, what led them here. And, and that's, that's a beautiful witness. And I will point out too, like the church intends the RCA process to be a provocation of ongoing conversion for the rest of the parish. So as we do the rite of welcome and we do the rite of sending and we do the scrutinies, the people are being invited to be inspired by the new converts and also walk the path of conversion with them. And that's beautiful to me too, because the RCA, you know, sometimes there's a uh, relationship where we think we're converting them <laughs> and they're contributing to our conversion as well. There's not a, it's not a one-way street, it's a two-way. I've heard that from so many people that were sponsors that it's an incredible opportunity to renew your faith and to learn things that maybe you've forgotten or didn't know at all, right? Yep, yep. And just to have that journey with, with those people is, is outstanding. So you would recommend people to do that? Oh yeah, it's, if you are drawn toward um, teaching, accompanying, walking with people, be an RCA sponsor, join the team, um, we're, we're looking to, to have more and more people involved in this process. Let's talk about your other role, um, your other hat that you wear, which is marriage prep. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we live in a society where at least 50% of marriages end in divorce. Um, so the, knowing that, it's my understanding, the church is taking this obviously very seriously. Yeah. And, and again, newer role for you. So talk a little bit about the process of marriage prep in the Catholic Church. The main goal of marriage prep is... So all sacraments have a preparation period, right? 
um, and it's adapted to the sacrament, the particulars of the sacrament. So what is unique about marriage is when I received my confirmation, the bishop confirmed me. But when I, I got married to my wife, we married each other, and the priest was the officiant. So the church says about marriage that the marriage is brought into existence by the free exchange of vows in public in front of the minister of the church that's what brought the marriage into existence. So if there was something lacking in my freedom or something lacking in my wife's freedom, the church, if or God forbid, you know, our relationship had gone uh, south and we divorced, the church could look at that and say something was defective in our exchange of consent. So what we're really trying to form people toward is that there's nothing defective in their consent. And we do that through two forms, external freedom. So we're establishing that there's no prior marriages, that there's, and if there are, there's a declaration of nullity, um, that they're not related to each other, there's no force, you know, pressure, things like that. That we can do, right? We can walk through that steps and feel pretty confident of that. The, the part that we have to appeal to the other person, the, the couple's freedom, is we're just facilitating opportunities for them to grow in their internal freedom. Do I understand the vows? What am I committing to? Um, am I mature enough to make those vows? Do I have a reasonable amount of knowledge about my spouse so that we're, there, there's not some thing I don't know about them that would keep me from being a free commit, making a free commitment to them for the rest of our lives? So those are the two goals, really, is we're, we're just trying to facilitate their freedom. And walk us through that process. How long does that take? Sure. The church says it has to be at least a minimum of six months. St. Vincent's Parish is on, uh, parishioners on average are waiting about a year, which I think is good. I think it's a good, uh, it, could, it can bring challenges to wait that long between your engagement and your marriage, but um, it just, it gives you a little bit more time to reflect. So it, there's a combination of things. Our Dassin Office of Marriage and Family Life offers some courses in communication and conflict resolution and things like that. Uh, they do a, a theology of marriage course through the diocese, and then they're introduced to natural family planning. And then they're being accompanied through that by myself and the priest who's officiating their marriage. So I meet with them to go through a pre-marriage survey. And so we talk a little bit about the... So what I'm, my goal is to prepare them to have the, the class on on marriage, uh, of the pre-marriage course of the diocese. So I walked them through some communication and conflict resolution skills. How does their personality affect their relationship? How does their, their family of origin impact things? And then uh, each of the priests does something a little different uh, as they walk with their couple. When Father Mark was here, it, it, given his role uh, and being a canon lawyer, he talked a bit about his experience with annulments. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of led me down a path of asking him, well, since you see this side of things, talk about things people should know to avoid being in those positions, right? And he was very specific yeah. about the things he thought led to these problems. As someone who runs the marriage prep here, what do you think the, the biggest issues that younger couples are going to need to know or tackle are? Yeah, um, that's a great question. There was a, I worked in the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston, and their judicial vicar, who's over the annulment, told me that a lot of times people are afraid uh, because it's, they, they know something's defective. I've read some annulment cases down there because I was a case sponsor, and you do see like pretty quickly as people are doing an annulment, as they're thinking back, they're seeing ways in which very early on something was off, but they didn't, they lacked the courage to address it in the pre-marital period. The judicial vicar in Houston once said to me, I had someone explicitly say to me that it would have been easier to get a divorce than to cancel the wedding. 
And so I'm, uh, for me, I'm always trying to actually present an atmosphere. Like if something comes up here, I don't want this necessarily for you, but you should not be afraid. If, if something, red flags come up here, that you'd either take more time, you know, we'll refund you the cost of the, the church. Like, don't worry if, if, if something comes up, right? So that's one thing. Just give people the freedom if they start to identify something that they are not an automatic path that it, from engagement on. And then practically speaking, I see a lot of young people, myself included, it could be generational, I don't know, personality-based, who have trouble, trouble being assertive. So assertiveness is actually a good communication quality because you're able to articulate what it is you need and you want. Now, there's a way to be selfish about that and make demands, but uh, a big part of what I do is try to help couples learn some skills to be assertive without being a jerk, <laughs> to be charitable, to understand that their spouse may not be able to need, um, respond to every need that they have, but it's always a good thing to map that out and lay that on the table. What do you say to the people that, again, think that the church's process is hooey? It, it's, it, it's too long. You don't need to tell me when I'm ready to get married. Sure. What's your response to that? Yeah. I'm, I'm, first of all, I have to say I'm grateful I don't encounter that much. It happens occasionally. And sometimes, you know, the church's marriage preparation process hasn't been helpful, hasn't always served the couple. And sometimes they hear about that from their family and, and so forth. So I want to say that, that um, people shouldn't stop challenging the church to offer marriage preparation that meets their needs. But at the same time, that time of waiting, that time to look under the hood one more time of the relationship to make sure everything's in order, everything's functioning properly, can really serve the couple well if they do that intentionally. Well, don't you think that's countercultural? I mean, we live in a society where most people want it and they want it now. So, I mean, to, to hear that it's, a, like you said, six months and in St. Vincent, maybe a year. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're in your early 20s, you're like, nope, I don't like that. Right. Yeah, there's a consumer culture sometimes in regards to the sacraments that we struggle with uh, on the the end where you're trying to provide the sacraments, and that's there. But I actually do see a shift away from that in the last couple of years. I did marriage prep for a long time in Houston. I saw a little bit more of that. I'm, what I'm seeing now is actually I'm more concerned about who's not getting married. Our numbers are down, not just at St. Vincent's, but across the board. Uh, so I'm actually more concerned with the people who are choosing to engage either in the hookup culture or prolonged periods of cohabitation, things like that. And then just a general cynicism, having worked with young people for a while, about marriage. So I'm actually shifting my concern a little bit more away from the people who want it and want it now to the people who don't even see marriage as a good. And how do you think we got here? You know, you mentioned the divorce rate. I mean, I think people, honestly, the family is a school of humanity. And um, if you do not see positive um, influences of marriage in your life, why, why would you want to get married? I think our cultural norms are shifting away from, you know, strangely enough, not just uh, a hookup culture. Now there's a, a backlash to the hookup culture in the secular world, and I'm grateful for that. But a lot of wounded people, and we actually see rates of sexual activity dropping. I never thought I'd say that would be a concern, but it's it, it just means people aren't relating to each other uh, in, in the younger generation at all. You see fewer numbers of people dating and high school and so forth. Now, Fort Wayne's a place that's a little bit more immune to that, from that rather, uh, but it's it's a cultural trend that I'm watching. And yeah, it's, it seems to be a lot of things, but those are, are two that came to mind. So with your role um, managing the marriage preparation process for younger couples or just couples in general, I guess they can be at any age. Mm-hmm. And then you have uh, the RCIA process. I mean, it's a pretty busy schedule for you. Um, what do you feel like right now, if you had to write down your mission for for 23 what's your mission on both sides my mission is to um to bring people in the living encounter with jesus 
whether that's a marriage prep or RCA, um, that is central to what everything I do. And uh, marriage is the the image the scripture uses over and over again for how we relate to God. And so as people discover their vocation in married life, um, that should also lead them to a greater understanding of who God is and how they should relate to God as they learn that on the human level. Father John Ricardo says a, um, a great line when his, his dad passed away, his mom leaned over the casket as they were about to shut the casket and walk into this funeral mass. And she said, because of you, I know God better. And um, if our couple's, can say that at the end of their marriage, I can I can rest at night. Wow, that's outstanding. What about the RCIA process? What's what's the mission there for twenty three for you? Yeah, so again, to, to bring people in relationship with Jesus Christ, but also to to work with the structure so that St. Vincent's is a place where people can come in and start the RCA process when they're ready and not wait on us. Yeah, that's a great initiative. So, I mean, I, I ask everybody this question to end an episode. I think I know this, but are you hopeful? I am, yeah. I mean, I, I mentioned depressing numbers and, and, and so forth, but the church has always been fruitful, uh, no matter in the big numbers and the successful numbers and the small numbers, and the grace of the Holy Spirit's with us. And as long as we're faithful to that, we'll bear fruit. Well, Justin, thank you for everything that you do for us. Um, again, not everybody gets to see you working so hard behind closed doors, and I do appreciate everything that you do for the, the parish and, and all of our families. So thank you very much for being here. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. You've been listening to Belt of Truth, powered by the Armor of God Men's Movement, located in Fort Wayne, South Bend Diocese in Fort Wayne, Indiana. For more information about Belt of Truth and Armor of God, visit armingmen.com.